0: Welcome, welcome, everybody, to the first Sunday service of the year. Woo! Yeah, hope you guys are uh, coming with great expectation for a great 2024. I can't believe a year has passed already, man. It's so fast, huh? I think as you get older, like, time just flies faster for some reason. I don't know, like, I can't believe it's 2024. Just yesterday was like 2023, and we're talking about rhythms with Christ and all that stuff. Now, we're starting a whole new year. You know, and as, as we start every year at TLC, we want to kind of remind the, the church, remind the body and the members of just the heart of why, as Christians, what we do. What, 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 is, what, what is it that we do in this world? And it's pretty much our vision, which is love God, love people, serve the world, right? And that's, that's really the heart of the Christian life, is to love the Lord with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, to love your neighbors as you love yourself, to go out and serve the world, um, with the grace and the gift and the spirit that he has given to us. And so for for this next month, what we're going to be doing is just kind of resharing that vision, reminding us as we start the year not to kind of forget that as a believer, as a a follower of Christ, my main uh, drive in life, my main trajectory, my main litmus test is to ask the question, am I loving God? With all my heart, mind, soul, and strength, am I, am I worshiping him? Am I, am I, am I loving my, my brothers and sisters in the church? Am I loving my neighbors around me? And am, am I serving the people that God has placed before me, the opportunities that he has given to me to be a blessing? So you know, remind ourselves of these things, that way we can move forward this year with the right, uh, on the right foot, okay? So uh, today's message is really about worshiping the true and living God and coming before him in that. So let's bow our heads and let's just pray as I get started. Father, I thank you for this new year. What a privilege it is, Lord, to, to live this life that you have given to us. And we know that this life is, is fleeting, is fast. We know, Lord, that there will be a day, Lord God, where all will fade away. And the only thing that remains is you. And we can't wait to that day, Father, as we meet with you in glory. But now as we live in this world, may our vision, may our mission, may our life purpose always be to love you, to love people, to serve those around us. Oh God, I ask that you would uh, give an anointing upon our church. Lord, we are unworthy as vessels, as people, but we are only worthy because of your son, Jesus Christ. And so Lord, use us this year. Move in us this year. Help us to press forward in our Christian life, in our, in, our, in our walk with you, that we may discover you deeper, more real, and true. May your word speak loudly today. Father, would you anoint your servant uh, with uh, your spirit and worthy as I am uh, to give it? I ask, oh God, that you would use uh, the vessel as me. Thank you, Lord, I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. Uh, I remember, not here at TLC, but when I was at the Korean church, one year during Halloween, I got together with a few of the leaders and decided we're not gonna do a uh, hallelujah night or a fall festival, you know? Uh, we, don't, we, don't, we didn't want just to provide. Again, there were things I did back then that would be inappropriate and wrong today, right? Uh, parents were less, um, less offended, not so easily offended back then as they are today. So uh, as I tell you this story, please uh, keep in mind that it was a different time, right? It's a different time. So we didn't want to provide a safe environment simply for the kids to, to come, just to do their Halloween thing, right? I, want, I wanted the kids, I had this vision, I wanted them to forever to wake up with this impression that hell is real, right? That there is, there is life and death. Now, if you're going to go trick-or-treating with costumes of demons on, fine, I'm going to show you what that looks like, right? For reals, right? And you know, like sometimes these kids, they're, they're, they're little brats, so, so they're like the games and TV, they, they get a little bit numb to the reality of life. And numb to everything. So, we wanted to do something that would shock them, like startle them, that would almost, tra- I mean, borderline traumatize them, right? Well, that's, that's so that they would wake up forever remembering, okay, what it means to be separate from Jesus. So, we, we created a masterpiece of horror at this church, okay? It was upstairs. We, we gave tours every uh, 30 minutes, okay? Just groups of kids coming in. And it it, it was, it was, I I get nightmares thinking about sometimes, I'm like, what what were we thinking? We're like some demented people up there, right? The tour would start with us, you know, with with them saying, you have now died, right? There's a cemetery. We we create this elaborate cemetery picture. We have the fog machine going, the dim light, and we have this like this one like spiritual being, right, who's going to lead them across. It's like this journey, this journey begins with your death, Right? And we'll put their names on the 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 tombstone. They were like, "Oh, you know, this is crazy." But some of them were like, "You know, I ain't scared. I'm not scared." It's like, "Oh, okay." Right? Then we we had these like multiple rooms. One of the rooms we called the um, uh, I don't know what we called it, but it it was it was a room where we had dolls hanging from the ceilings, right? And we had like we had one girl just sitting in the corner, right? And we had the, the the music in the background, like this this with the swings. And then the little giggles, like, hee, <laughs> hee, right? It was, so it was freaky, right? We had, we had this place called the butcher's room, right? That was the room where, like, when you, wh- whatever commandment you broke, you have to pay in, in pieces, right? So, like, you know, the one that we, we kept doing was the stealing one, cutting off your arm, right? So the kids walk in, they saw the butcher's room, they had, like, limbs, stuff, like, hanging everywhere, right? Again, traumatizing, okay? So we, uh, <laughs> we I think one of the guys were there, and then the kids were like, oh, that's not a real knife, and they're like, yeah, bet cut it and it start flying everywhere they were like they were screaming like ah like have you ever stolen before yeah this is what happens right oh man they were they were palpitating with, with fear you know and so they were going through these rooms and they got into the corridor and then all the lights shut off and then the voice says there is no way out right and they're like screaming and yelling and then you know we got the one door with the like you know silhouette of the cross it's like there's only one door so everyone started running towards that door right they got out like <gasps> Long story short, right, it worked, whatever it happened. Right, they were coming out, crying, repenting, sobbing. It was glorious, it was glorious. Uh, I, was t- I was reminding Paul of this story. He was like, yeah, we, we really traumatized the kids. I was, it's true, there were things back then that parents allowed us to do. I mean, I remember the parents afterwards, I felt a little bad, because you know, the kids were sobbing really hard, and they were like, what'd you guys do? We walked them through it, they were like, good job. Score. Now I'm pretty sure I would be fired right, if we did that. So, uh, but in the same way, right, in the same way, why did I tell you this story? Same way, um, sometimes as we, as we end the year, as we go through a new year, we, we get a little spiritually sleepy. We're in this spiritual slumber. That, that the impact of God and, and what He's doing and the reality of Him doesn't hit as hard. And it's not as um, as penetrating to our souls. And we're just kind of moving through the motion of it. We have God in the background. We have the church duties. We have our ministries. We have our service. But the impact of what God is doing in, 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 in our lives and what it means to worship him is not, it's not vibrant. It's not alive in us. And so sometimes we have to be shocked into it, scandalized, almost traumatized, right, in order for us to hear what he has to say to us. So the beginning of this year, as my first message to you guys, I want to share with you guys how Jesus uses the story of a harlot, a woman with infamy, five husbands, and even the one that she's with now is not even her husband. Right? A scandalous story to teach us and remind us what it means to worship God truly. How do we know that we're worshiping the true and living God? How do we know that what you're going to be doing this year as you go through the motion of life, as you go through this journey of your uh, Christian life, how do you know that you're worshiping the true and living God? I pray that this story, this encounter that Jesus had with this woman, will wake us up and remind us the life it looks like, what, what the life looks like, what a life looks like when we are worshiping the true and living God. So, open your Bibles to John chapter four. It's a famous story, the story of the Samaritan woman by the well. It's a very powerful story because this is the story of Jesus' inaugural uh, step into declaring his ministry, declaring who who he is, right? And he does it with a woman, a scandalous woman, an inappropriate encounter by all accounts. John chapter four. We're gonna start with verse four and we reach verse six. So they were going; they're trying to get back to Galilee here, and they could have taken the shortcut, but they decided to go. Um, uh, they, they were supposed to go a long way, because no one actually ever walks through this town called Samaria. The Jews don't do it. But Jesus decided, I'm going to go through it, and this is where I'm going to start my journey, and this is where I'm going to begin the declaration that I am the Messiah. So check this out. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. When a Samaritan woman came to draw, near, draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? Right. How do you know that you're worshiping the true and living God? How do you know that the life this year in which you are going through, that you're, you're engaging with the worship of our God? And the answer is this, because worship becomes real to you in life, in every part of your life. Worship begins to be a natural rhythm of every area of your life, okay? That worship is not some mythical interlude in a week of reality, right? It's not some fantasy escape from a week of life, that you come to a Sunday service, you come to a service, and you begin to worship. How do you know that you're worshiping the true and living God? Because there is a compulsion, there is a, uh, a desire, there is a, a, a wanting in your heart to be part of worshiping in the grid of life. The, the, the nitty-gritty, the gray areas, the adultery, the tensions, the racial conflict is not just a kumbaya moment on Sunday, but it becomes the actual effect of our lives every day. Jesus the Bible says what he was weary. He was tired. He's been walking a lot. And he sits down in this place and in the middle of how tired he is, in the middle of how how exhausted he may be, in this moment he said what, I will bring worship to this place. I will make this place a place that God's worth and value is centered. I will find here in this moment a true worshiper for the Lord. It wasn't back in the synagogue. It wasn't back in his hometown. It wasn't back at the temple. It wasn't on, on, on the Sabbath uh, weekday, right? It was in the middle of his exertion and tiredness. He decided, I am going to bring worship here. The way that you know that you are a true worshiper of God, that in regardless, uh, regardless of where you are, regardless of the situation you're in, regardless of how you are feeling, in those moments, there's a desire in you To bring worship to that place. And worship is all it means is that you're centering God as worthy, as center, as valuable in that moment. Worship, Jesus is teaching us, is part of real life. It's part of your day-to-day. When you're in a study group together and you're exhausted from finals, right, it's in that moment when you said, you know, you could ignore it and kind of do your own thing, kind of relax. It's actually in that moment. That's the perfect moment to engage in the conversation of worship with people. It's in that moment to actually bring worth and value into that place. Do you do that, church? When, 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 you're, when you're in the club, I know. I don't know if we, if we go clubbing anymore, but when you're in the club, right, it's, as funny as it is, as, as much as the, you know, the music is bopping or going off, there, that place could be the place where worship is brought, right? It's like, why would I do that? You would. A true worship of God brings worship wherever they go, however they find themselves. Worship when you're at work. Worship when you're in the midst of hostility and conflict with somebody. Worship when you have a natural aversion to a person. See, how do you know that you're a true worshiper of God? How do you know that you're worshiping the true and living God? There is a drive. There is a transformation in your heart. There is a desire. There is a longing in you to bring worship wherever you go. And some of you guys may think this. You might think like, well, um, the reason I don't do that, PT, the reason why I don't don't like it is because it's kind of inappropriate. The situation I'm in, it's it's an inappropriate time to bring God into the mixture. It's an inappropriate moment to talk about the Lord at this time. It's inappropriate in this setting to have this conversation. Do you want to know what's inappropriate? This situation that Jesus found himself in was inappropriate. Let, let, me, let, me, let, me pick, let me paint you this picture of why it's so inappropriate, right, in a cultural context, right? There was a huge animosity between Jews and Samaritans. Jewish people hated the Samaritans because they called them the half-breeds. When, when the nation was um, exiled, the, kings of, the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, he left some in the, in the territory. He left some there to kind of the elderly, the elderly they, they stuck there. They didn't, they didn't take them on this journey. They only took the best and the, and the brightest. They left the weak and some of the temple scribes to, to stay there, to watch over them. And what did they do? To the exiles, they were the traitors. Because why? They began to mix themselves. They began to intermarry with people in that area. Instead of staying true in the midst of hostility, instead of staying true to your people, true to your culture, you decided to compromise yourself. And when they came back, to build the temple again, the Samaritans tried to come in and help, and they said, nope, we don't want that half-breeds here, okay? Actually, the Samaritans made it it difficult for the Jews to try to build the temple again. So there there was this animosity, there was this, this tension between them as people, okay? It's an inappropriate moment because why? On top of that, she was a woman, and back then, men don't associate with women like Personally, unless they're trying to get something, you know, in terms of trying to solicit uh, prostitution or whatnot. So this moment was very inappropriate. That this woman here and this man together talking to one another. Okay? And on top of that, she wasn't, she wasn't even a decent woman. Okay? According to the town, according to the people, the reason why she was out in the six hours is because she didn't want to get water with all the other ladies early in the morning. Because she knows that when she gets there, people are going to look at her. They're going to demean her because she's been through five husbands. Right? Can you imagine that? Knowing someone who's walked through five five divorces, and the man that she's staying with right now is not even her husband. She was the talk of the town. She was the pariah. She was someone that no one wanted to associate with. This was an inappropriate moment to have a conversation. And yet Jesus did what? Because he worshipped the true and living God, Jesus was compelled to, even in his tiredness, even in the nitty-gritty part of his life, he decided, I'm gonna make a true worshiper today. I'm bringing the worship of God to this place at this moment. All right, let me paint, let me give you a different context how this would feel, okay? Imagine you seeing Paul, right? Middle of the night, driving down beach. You saw his car. Well, not his car anymore because he got told right? So you, but you saw him going down beach, you know? Okay? And, and you saw, you know, beach has been, was known, or is, I, 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 I'm beginning to see a lot more um, prostitutes again back on that street, but beach back then used to be known as like, the central hub for prostitution. They would, they would ship girls from up north down to uh, that street, from Orange to, uh, from Orange Thorpe all the way down to uh, Garden Grove on beach. That was known as uh, um, Prostitution Alley, right? The, the hotels and the motels were like, were rented out for hours, not days. <laughs> they were rented out just for the hours. You imagine you're driving down and you're, you're seeing Paul pull over and he weighs a girl in. you would be like, that's kind of awkward. What's he doing, right? Right? And, and imagine, imagine not only is he waving the girl over, that he tells her to get in the car. And you're like, now you think, what, why? What's going on? This is not an appropriate moment, Paul. Like, hopefully he's preaching the gospel, but you don't know, right? So we're kind of, this, is the, this is not the setting to have this conversation. It doesn't seem like, if he is preaching, it doesn't seem like it's the right setting. And why is he doing it at this moment? It seems very awkward and inappropriate. That's the tension that's being felt if anyone saw Jesus talking to this woman at this moment, right? All these questions would come up. They're asking, why are you, you know, associating with this lady? Why are you talking with her? Right? That tension was right there. And it's real. It's a real tension. But in the midst of that, Jesus says, I'm going to bring worship. And so I think a lot of us, we, 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 we say with our hearts that we worship the living God. But there is a fear, there is a sense of, of shyness, almost almost a shamefulness of wanting to bring it up. I don't want to rock any boats. I don't want to make this awkward than it is. And what Jesus tells us, yes, to bring worship is awkward. To bring, to bring life into a place that is dead is difficult. But those who worship the Lord with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength, those who worship the true and living God, whether you are in your workplace, whether you are in their study group, whether you are tired and exhausted, everywhere you go, you bring worship to that place. Everywhere you go, you make that place worthy of God's presence, right? And this is not, I'm not just saying this for like preachers and, 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 and pastors and stuff like that. This is for everyone vocationally wise. I shared with you guys one time when I used to have when I had my reactive arthritis. I went to see uh, this doctor, right? This um, rheumatologist, like the from U.C. Irvine. He was the head of the rheumatology department. And I came in. I was talking to him, and you know, he said, "Well, we're going to get you fixed right up." And he asked me what I did for a living. I said I'm a pastor. He said, "Then you're my brother." I was like, "Okay, that's good to know, right?" And then what did he do at that moment? He said, "Let me pray for you." I said, like, okay, right? So let's, are let's, uh, we in the middle of his office? We just sat down, we prayed. His intern walked in, or his resident, or wh- 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 whoever he's watching, he comes in, he watches us, and he's like, hmm, right? And then, you know, Dr. Larry comes in and says, my guy's gonna take care of you, don't worry. He walks in, I, and the guy says, you know what's funny? Like, Dr. Larry does this often, right? Like, you must be a Christian. I was like, I am. And I was like, yeah, he prays for them all the time. I see this all the time as I walk into this place. And I usually walk in in the wrong moments that we're in the middle of the prayer, but, you know, I, I see it often, right? Seems inappropriate. Seems not like the place to bring worship, but that's exactly where you're supposed to do it. So I pray that this year, 2024, as you are thinking, as you're living out your Christian life, as you're beginning to engage in that, ask yourself the question, if I worship the true and living God, everywhere I go, is there, is there a in my heart to bring worship there, to worship God there, to bring the worship of God into this place, to, to find a worshiper of God here? Or am I just gonna just slide on by to go through the motion? Second thing, how do you know you're worshiping a true and living God? Look at verse um, 9 to 13. So the Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So he's offering her something that she doesn't understand, okay? How do you know that you're a true worshiper, the living God? That we, are, we see that our worship in us creates an ability to give life, an ability to give hope, Okay? Jesus doesn't answer her directly when she asked, why would you talk to me? You're a Jew, I'm a Samaritan. He doesn't answer her directly. Instead, instead he said what? If you knew the gift of God, and who is to ask you of this, you have asked him, and he would have given you living water. And she's still focusing on um, on the physical. She says, how can you give me water? You don't even have a bucket, right? Her background doesn't make her a prime candidate for spiritual insights. She's enslaved to the flesh. Her spirit is dead. She's not getting what he's trying to talk to her about. She's just thinking about water, actual physical water. But Jesus adds on to what he says, this. He says, the amazing thing is not just that I can give you water without a bucket, but that the water I give you takes away thirst forever. Even better than that, it will turn you into a person that springs into a spring that brings eternal life to yourself and to others. What Jesus is saying here is this. First, how do you know you're worshiping the true living God? One, There's satisfaction in your soul. And two, you become a hope to those around you. There's a satisfaction in your soul. Jesus is saying, what I offer you is complete satisfaction. In every cup of life that you drink, it never quenches your thirst. Right? Doesn't it? All the cups of life that you drink from, relationship. Right? Ain't no pain like that of the opposite sex. Okay? Like Will Smith said. Gonna hurt real bad. Don't take it out on the next. Right? What happens? We get into relationships, you know, it's fun at first, it's nice, but then you get to the nitty gritty of it, and then it becomes difficult and hard. And it doesn't satisfy you as much as you thought it should have satisfied you. Right? How about you get a job? You jump from one job to the next job to the next job. Why? Because you thought if i just get a career if i can just get going everything would be working out well for me and yet it seems like no job can actually satisfy my soul right now i need so much more from this you purchase things to kind of fill up your the void in your house thinking that if i can just get one more thing one more item this will make it really cool and you have fun with it you know for a month or two and then what happens it gathers dust in the corner somewhere Everything you drink from, it never quenches your thirst. You know why? Because that's the problem. We were made. We were made to be only satisfied by God. You know, Christians, we call that the God shaped hole. There's a God shaped hole in your life that you are always trying to fill somehow. And you fill it with, with, with everything possible love, pleasures, material, money power, respect, you try to fill that hole up somehow, and yet every time you f- you're thinking you've filled it up, it seems like you need more of it. You're never truly satisfied. And Jesus says, the way that you know that you are worshiping the true and living God is that in whatever situation you find yourself in, up or down, plenty or in want, you are satisfied. You are satisfied because you know what you have. You are satisfied because you know what you have in Christ is so much more valuable than any degree that can offer you, any amount of money that can give to you, any amount of respect and power that you can attain, any amount of um, physical objects that you can buy. You know that what you have in Christ is infinitely more valuable than that. And so when you have that assurance, there's a satisfaction that wherever you, ha- wherever you are, you find yourself in a place, I am satisfied. That's why Paul was, was able to say, I know the secret, whether I have plenty or have little. I have the secret between uh, having much, having a little bit, being poor, being rich, being fed, or being hungry. I have the secret. It's just the satisfaction I have in Jesus Christ. Do you guys realize that? I mean, when you think about, you think about Jesus, you think about what he has done for your soul for all eternity, that there will be a day when you close your eyes and you open up again, and you will see him. And all of that that you thought was so much work and so much toil in this life will fade away, and you have him for all eternity. The Bible says finding him is like finding a treasure underneath your field. You sold everything you have because you realize how much more worth it is this thing that you have in Christ. The way that you know that you're a worshiper of the true and living God is that there is a satisfaction in your soul wherever you are going. There is a contentment, there is a peace. There's a hope, there's an ability to endure. There's life, right? But on top of that, the way that you know you're worshiping a true and living God, is not that you just sit there and you know that, but that your life now becomes a spring of blessing and life towards others. Jesus is the hope we see here. You can become someone who can actually give life. That, that, that your presence actually begins to bring hope to somebody else. That when you're around, it brings joy. That when you're around, it brings a, a, a heartfelt connection. When you're around, they feel like there's something more to their life. When you're around, there's a, there's a sense of, there's, there's, a, there's a living heartbeat. There's, there's a living reality about this person. How do you know that you're worshiping true and living God, church? One, are you satisfied in him? Have you come to a place in your life where you're actually satisfied with him? And that's it. That you can lose all things in life if you have him. You have everything. And two, when you're around people, is there hope that comes from you? Or do they see pessimism, darkness, complaining, whining, arguing, Right? Philippians 2.14 says, well, do everything without complaining and arguing. Why? So that you can shine like stars. You know, crooked and and, and warped generation, you will shine like stars. Do people see that? Or do they see just a reflection of themselves? What's emanating from you? do, Do they see a glory and a beauty and a hope that comes from you? Right? You know, like... I, um, my grandma's in a, a nursing home, nursing rehab, and that's it's one of the saddest things, you know, like, I think I share this. When, when I go, when we went to visit her, I see a lot of these people in their end of life, right, as they're just staying there. And, you know, they, they, they get happy, and, you know, they, they'll tell my grandma, oh, you're so lucky, you know, like, you have people come and visit you, you know. And I was like, you know, where's your family? And they said, I don't have any. I said, were well, you married? I was like, Yeah. We never had kids. At the end of life, when everything's fade away, when everything's gone, I watched them. And it's, it's the saddest thing in the world. All alone. All alone. In that bed, just dying. All right? And all they wanted, all they needed was just someone to come and give hope. Life can give hope like that. Life can offer that. Do, 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 you, do you guys, when you say you worship the living God, when you're around people, clients, friends, family, do they see a hope emanating from you? Do they see that even in the midst of your struggles, your darkness, your pain, your ups, your downs, that there's actual life? And they, and, and they can't wrap their mind around it. It's like, you should be devastated this moment. You should be broken at this moment, and yet somehow there's a firmness about you, there's a strength in you. Did they see that? Because the Bible tells us that if you are worshiping the true and living God, not only will I satisfy your soul, your deepest needs, I will also make you a spring of eternal life towards others, that you will be a blessing. Some of us, some of you guys, you're thinking to yourself that, you know, I can't really do anything spiritual. You know, I, I can't. I can't really. Uh, I don't know the words that well. I, you we make excuses about being spiritually young. Do you understand what Jesus is saying here? He's saying that through Him, you are someone who is able to pour out life unto another. Not just wisdom or knowledge, but life, soul-satisfying life, hope. The excuse of "I'm just a spiritually young person. I, I don't have much knowledge. I don't have much words." The word of God living and working in you, the truth of his spirit living in you, it is the power to transform, to help, to motivate, to bless, to bring peace to those around you, okay? And my, my, my hope for 2024 as you guys are entering this year is to ask that question for yourself. What are you striving towards for? What are you striving for? What are you growing in? If it's not deeper understanding and love for the Lord, if it's not growth in the ability to impact another person. Ask yourself the question, how is my life an impact, a blessing, into another? When people encounter you, they should leave with a sense of, you know what, I feel alive. I feel like whatever they have, I want it. You may not even preach the gospel to them, but that your presence brings life in some way, form. Does it? How do you know that you worship worshiping the true and living God? Worship, first, it happens in real life. That there is a consistency, there's a rhythm everywhere you go work, school, church, family, friends of bringing worship to that place. There's a desire to speak of Him, to know of Him, to bring His value and His worth into that place. And secondly, it's to what? It's to create in you a life that you have a life, the ability to actually give hope to others. If you're not satisfied with God this year, guys, if you're starting this year and you don't really feel satisfied with God, and you're kind of focusing on like, you know, better me, new year, new me, right? <laughs> focusing on yourself, lose a few pounds, you know, learn a language, you know, read a couple books. I don't know, right? You're just focusing on yourself. The really big question you should ask is all those things will fade away anyways. What is worth of all eternity is do you have a true relationship with God? Will he satisfy you? Because again, at the end of life, all these people who have spent their whole life chasing after dreams, chasing after pleasure, chasing after their own fun, yeah, I'm pretty sure they have great stories to tell, but in the end of life, you know what I realize? As I watch these ladies and these men just fade, what they really need is hope and life. All those things go by the wayside, okay? Here's the third thing, 15 to 26. And so she's not getting it, this lady, right? She's like, where are you going to get this water from? And So he has to do what? She doesn't get it because she's thinking only about physical needs here. Jesus is seeking to make her a worshiper of God in spirit and truth. And so he, he goes for the jugular here, okay? 15, he says, the woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water, you know? He told her, go call your husband and come back. Right? She went straight for the, for the kill shot right here. Right? Like, how do you know? <laughs> I have no husband, she replied. You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have five husbands. You have had five husbands. And the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. So she's not getting it. Right? She's not getting She's thinking all about physical needs and just how he can satisfy her physically. Right? Just satiate her thirst. He's like, I'm looking for your soul. I'm, tr- I'm trying to get at the heart of the issue here. So he goes at the jugular. He shocks her. He startles her, almost traumatizes her by calling her out at this moment. And you know what happens when you get called out? You try to change the subject. So here's what she did. She said, sir, the woman said, ignoring the whole thing about her husband, I can see that you are a prophet, right? Our fathers worship on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the wo- place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. <laughs> All right, so she changed the subject to worship instead. Jesus declared, believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the Jew, true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. And so he turns the attention from where you're supposed to worship to how you're supposed to worship. It's not about worshiping in the temple. It's not about worshiping in the mountains. It's not about worshiping here in this church sanctuary with the pews. The true worshipers, right, the people who worship the Father, they must worship the authentic type of worship is not external act, but an internal act. Worship is not by going into a place, not merely an external going to a place, but worship must come from the heart. You know, Jesus once said, or Isaiah said, These people, they worship me with their lips, but their heart is so far from me. How do you know that you're a true worshiper of the living God? That you're worshiping the true and living God? That your worship is from the heart and is not just lip service. See, if you pray to God, and your prayer is not from the heart. Your prayers are in vain. Because who are you talking to? It's not to God. Right? I see this all the time with my sons. There, as they're practicing, you know, we teach them how to pray. You, you see how fast they pray during meals. Then you, Lord, for this food. Thank you, blah, blah, blah. Eh, amen. So is, did you even talk to God? Yeah, yeah, I just prayed. Did you, though? <laughs> you said a mantra. I think you did. right? But are you actually talking to God? Yeah, I'll try better next time, Daddy. Or that's, you know, I'll do better next time. Right? Sometimes we pray, we, we, we throw out words, and yet there's no heart behind it. There's no thought behind it. There's no connection with it. Your prayers are in vain. Because you're not talking to God, you're just throwing out words. If you sing songs without heart, it's in vain. You come and, 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 and you, you just, you memorize the song, and so you're just singing the words, but your thoughts are even in the words. Your thoughts about, like, you know, lunch or, you know, like an issue that just happened yesterday, or you're thinking about what's going to happen after service, but you're singing the words because you're so used to it. Mechanically, you're there, but heart wise, you're not. These people, they worship me with their lips, but their heart is so far from me. We read these confessions and these creeds, and we do this liturgy here in church. But what's the point of reading the Confession, the Lord's Prayer, the, uh, the, uh, the Catechism, all these things that we do if your heart is not there? When you read about God's communicable attributes, I mean, are you just reading it as Paul leads it or are you actually listening and, and realizing that these attributes are the things that, qualities of God that he shares with us? The fact that you are able to love is because you have the quality of God. To show mercy is because you have God's quality in you. These are things that he has given and gracefully given to his people that you are an image bearer of God, that you have this this, 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 this quality that, that is directly linked to God. How beautiful, how amazing am I in creation that He would share a piece of who He is with me. Do we think about these things as we share these words or do we just read them? My people, they worship me with their lips, but their hearts are so far from me. So Jesus tells this woman, don't get caught up with the irrelevant controversies of, of where you worship and what form that you worship. I want you to think about how you're worshiping. Are you worshiping me with your heart? How do you know you're worshiping the true and living God? Is that you, when you're engaged in this time, in this moment, that you are attentively Focus on him. Those of you guys who work out, right, they, they, they do the muscle-brain connection. You, you, you hear about that? I, just, I, I recently just saw it. It's like you, you have to do this muscle-brain. Like, your brain has to, like, tell you your muscle is contracting. That's how you get stronger. I don't know how that works, but apparently if you, if you do that, if you're lifting, right, and your mind is focused on the actual sinews and muscular whatever it is there that's happening as you're lifting, it has a deeper connection and the deeper connection creates bigger growth, okay? I haven't done it, as you can tell, but I'm just saying, like, you know, like, it, it, can, it probably is, right? And in the same, in the same thread, if, if there's a time of worship, if you're bringing worship to the place, and you're, rather than just giving lip service, is your mind and heart connected? Are, 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 are you seeking to put all of your being into the moment with your connect with this relationship with God? Or are you just going through the motion? How do you know that you're, you're, you're worshiping the true and living God? Your worship is from the heart and not from the lips. There, there, is, there is a compulsion in your heart that says, I am not satisfied until I meet with you. I'm not satisfied until I meet with you in prayer, right? Like, to, to, to pray is not just to bow our heads and to pray, but to come and say, Lord, I will not be satisfied until I meet you here. Until together we are, we are waging this war this, this, this journey of life, that we are doing it together. I'm not satisfied, Lord, unless I'm singing and I know that you're listening because I'm singing to you, not just about you. When you're up here serving, that, that, that you're not just going through the motion, even the praising, that you're not just going through the motion of singing the words of strumming the instrument, but that every heart, every note, every chord, every beat, your mind, your focus is on the word. When you're back there in the tech booth, doing your thing, right? That you're not just kind of like pushing buttons and raising, lowering volumes and adjusting cameras, but at every moment, every, every second, focus. focused. So how, how can the presence of God be here more? That you're worshiping not with just your lips, but with your heart, right? In verse 22, he says this, he says, you Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. He introduces whom you worship. When all our efforts to be gentle and sensitive and respectful of another, right, another person's religions are done, the reality is what we are proclaiming is that we are worshiping the God of the Bible. We are worshiping this God. People don't like that. They think we're narrow. They think it's difficult. But the re- it's, it's, it's not narrow and difficult if you have bowed to the truth of this. People don't like the word because sometimes like they, they, they say, you know, there are things in here that tells me to do something that I don't actually partic- particularly like to do. That, this, that can't be what God wants me to do. Let me tell you guys something, okay? If you are worship, if God is real, Jesus Christ is real, and God is eternal, he's infinite in knowledge and wisdom and power, and you are not, there has to be, as you are reading this, a pushback, isn't there? If there's no pushback, then the only thing you're worshiping is yourself, because you only know what you know. But God knows more than what you know. And so as, he's, as you're reading this word, as you're encountering this God, as you're meeting him, he is going to tell you things that's going to push back against the very nature which you have, because he wants to change your nature to become his he doesn't want you to be stuck in your own foolish, broken, selfish, human nature. He is transforming you in every ounce of you to become like his son, Jesus Christ. And so when he pushes back on you with the word, it's not because he hates you, not because he wants your life to be difficult, it's because he is trying to transform you. And you know that you're dealing with a real God. If there's a pushback, if there's no pushback, if everything is like dandy, he's like, my God is so amazing, he does everything I want him to do, he says everything I like, he, he, he agrees with me in every single aspect, right? With The way I've been raised. Everything I, everything I know, he agrees with. That's how you know. You're probably not worshiping the right God. You are worshiping a God of your creation, a God that satisfies you. When we worship the true and living God, we meet him in this word, and he will push back against your thoughts on culture, he will push back against your thoughts on sexuality, he will push back your thoughts on marriage, he will push back your thoughts on children rearing, he will push back your thoughts until you submit that he is more and you are not. Until, he, until you realize, as Job realized, when he asked, why is this happening to me, he said this. I have heard of you, and now my eyes have seen you, and I repent in dust and ashes. I know that you are good. I know that you are good. And there's nothing I can say. For you are the true and living God. You are the eternal from the beginning to the end. You are the one who placed the stars in their skies. You are the one who knows exactly where the sun goes when it hides. You are the one who has understood. The childbrewing of a mountain lion on top of him. you know everything, oh God, and I do not. And so when you speak and it pushes back against my, 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 my instincts, my nature, I know that you're speaking to me. So, how do you know you're worshiping you a true living God? One, it's not just with your lips, but with your heart. But two, it's with truth. This is God's truth spoken to you his word to transform you. See, if you don't feel any pushback and you, and you feel yourself in a life that, you know, everything's kind of dandy, maybe you're not worshiping God because I know you're not perfect yet, right? I know you wouldn't dare claim to be perfect, but if there's no pushback in your life, there's no challenge to your life, there's, there's no, there's no, there's no um, sacrifice to your walk, you must not be connecting to the right God here. Because the God I know will not leave you as you are. The God I know loves you too much to leave you as you are. The God I know will go the distance and the miles to transform you into a sun image. So if you're going through life and there's not a care in the world, there's not a controversy at all with your Christian life and your worldly life, and there's not an issue, you have to really ask the question, have I really been worshiping the true and living God? have I worship him in spirit and in truth. Jesus says together, spirit and truth. It means that real worship comes from the spirit within and is based on true views of God. There's a connection emotionally that's based on truth. Worship must have heart and worship must have head. When you worship God it must be with your heart. It must be with your mind. Worship must engage your emotions, and worship must engage your thoughts. If you come to church and all you want is emotions, all you have is emotion without truth to, get, to, to, to uh, help you uh, be, uh, solidify you, all you produce is empty frenzy that cultivates flaky people who reject discipline and rigorous thoughts and sacrifice. You're all emotional but you lack the ability to move forward. You're flaky, right? You start something, you stop. You don't have the rigorous training to move forward because your mind is not engaged. But here's the opposite for all the nerds out there, right? If you have truth without emotions, you have truth without emotions, it produces dead orthodoxy, meaning all you say is, I know, I know. I know, I know. Where is the passion that comes from not knowing? Yeah, but I know. I agree. I know this is God's Word. Where is the obedience that comes from it? Where is the life that comes out of it? See, if there's truth with no heart, you have dead faith. Because your faith must produce obedience, it must produce action. True worship comes from people who are deeply emotional and who have loved deep and sound doctrine that when you come, you sing because you're worshiping a true and living God. You come and you open God's word with the word and you study it and you realize this is what God's truth is saying to my heart. The only action I have left is to bow and to worship and to obey. How do you know that you're worshiping a true living God? One, it's part of your knit and grit of life. It's the rhythm of your life everywhere you go. Two, how do you know you're worshiping the true and living God? You're satisfied. You're satisfied. There's a hope eternal in you. And not only that, but you bring hope to others around you. Your presence brings blessing, right? My, 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 my thesis for the men's group has always been, wherever you go, you must bring flourishing. If flourishing is not where you are at, then you are not being a man of God. You're an unbiblical man. You need to repent, you need to change your ways, that your life, wherever you go, you gotta be a hope in the life. If you call yourself a son of God, that must be the result of your life. How are you to worship true and living God? Lastly, it's with your heart and with your mind. Are you engaging God that way? I pray that this year you actually would read the Word, guys. Right? That you you have your own Bibles, that you would bring it to church, or you would read it. That you would know it. Okay. A brother in our church read the Bible in 25 days. It's possible. 25 days. I was like, wow, that's pretty impressive. Right? You can read it. (laughs) Here's the thing, here, guys. Look, 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 look what. This is, some of you guys think, well, that's, that's great in all PT, but, you know, like, I'm just, who am I? I'm, I'm a nobody. Like, what can I do? What hope can I possibly bring, right? Like, what can I possibly do? Like, like how much, I'm, why would God even care? Look at this. Verse 25, 26. It says, the woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. You know, there's there's this new phrase going around. It's like, I'm him, right? I'm him. My son keeps saying that all the time when he makes a basket. I'm him, right? I'm like, who's him? I'm him. Him who? Him. I just want you guys to know it came from Jesus first, okay? He says, I who speak to you am he, right? He said, I'm him. I know the Messiah is coming. This is the first time he declared it. He declared his ministry. He declared his purpose to an Obscure woman, scandalous, infamous, from a backwards town where no one ever paid attention to. He decided, This is how I'm going to begin to share who I am. I will share to her. And you can imagine just the reality of what was going on. Who am I? Who am I, oh Lord, that you would come and you would give me this truth and this word? Who am I that you would meet me here in this well by myself all alone? Who am I? He says, I know you. So a lot of us, we, we think to ourselves, you know, what can God possibly do through me? What can God possibly use me for? I'm nobody. I don't have the brains. I don't have the smarts. I don't have the, 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 the bandwidth. I don't have the ability. God knows you, and he sees you, and he's coming for you. Do you realize that? Like, he could, have, he could have announced this where? Anywhere. He could announce this in any Public setting. He can now it in a grander setting. But he chose to meet a woman. Shamed by her culture. Shamed by her people. Guilty in her heart. No one appreciates, knows, and even sees her anymore. But he chose to reveal himself to her. The Bible says, I know you. Before you were in your mother's womb, I formed you. I knit you together. He says, I know you. You are not lost, you are not forgotten, you are not obscure, you are not by yourself, you are not excluded, I know you. I've always known you and I will meet you. The Bible says his thoughts of you outnumber the grain of sand. That's how eternal and beautiful our God is, that His thoughts of you, you. You're thinking, who am I? I have thought of you from the moment you wake up to the moment you close your eyes. My thoughts of you outnumber all those things. That's how far I will go for you. Not only that, I will go as far as to the cross to find you. The Messiah, the one you've been waiting for, the one that satisfies your soul, the one thing your soul desires, I am him. I've come. And I've made the way on the cross to the Father. Church, I pray that you would meet him. I pray that this year you would have a real relationship with him. I pray that this year that you, it won't just be with lips, but with heart, with mind. I pray that you would grow this year. Really grow. Take the steps of growth. That your encounter with God would not be shallow and, 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 and trivial and novice at best. That you would encounter the living God that shapes, molds, changes, transforms, and moves you. Because before you even want to look for him, he's already trying to find you. And if this message and this word is stirring in your heart, like, yeah, sh- I-, I need to meet him. If that, if that is even there, can I tell you something? It's not because you're feeling it, it's because he's wooing you for it. It's not because you're, you, you've come to some sort of realization, oh yeah, I need to meet God. It's because the word of God, the spirit of God, even at this moment is speaking to his sons and his daughters, and he's saying, come home. Come and know me. I'm calling for you. I'm reaching for you. I will go to the darkest places with you if I can pull you out of it. I'm here. Come and find me. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we come before you this day. Though we come before your word and your truth. And Father, we, we, we confess that our worship to you has always been, has been oftentimes, Lord God, just lip service and not with heart. That our worship with you, God, Father, seems to be only localized to a time and to a place, but is not the every essence and rhythm of our life. That our worship to you, Lord, is not in spirit or in truth. That Lord, that our life has not reflected the beauty of a life transformed, a life given eternal hope. Lord, I pray, That this year as we come, that we would meet with you. That you would encounter us. And I pray, Father, this year that you would grow us. That, Lord, that you would deepen us. That, Father, we would know the reality of the God in which we worship. In whom we worship. Lord, come. Meet us here in this place. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.